I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my Thoughts on Money. Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, where we like to call Tom. I'm Trevor Cummings, your host of the podcast and your author of the Thoughts on Money blog. I'm here with my good friend and colleague, none other than Mr. Sean Latimer. Hello. How are you doing today? Doing great. So I wrote this article for you, even though you probably don't know that. We've had this conversation a lot. I wrote the entire article, and then I ripped it completely in half and started over again last night because I'm trying to be more direct and succinct with how I'm trying to describe this, but hopefully in the podcast we can do a little bit better than I did in the article. How did I inspire you to do that? You know, we've had this conversation a couple of times where you've been talking to clients, and I'll let you describe it because I don't want to put words in your mouth, but there can be this misconception of the attractiveness of a 5% interest rate on a money market account. Yeah, because they they look at markets have been relatively flat over a recent period of time. Two years, right? Two years, yeah. yeah. And they go, this is great. I'm going to get 5% just from sitting in cash. No risk. And I can sleep at night. And that's better than what I would have gotten, you know, last year or the last 24 months. So why wouldn't I do that? And it is sometimes exhausting to try and explain the difference between, you know, the total return versus what they're getting paid right now and the sustainability of that payment because we don't know what the future of interest rates are. And uh, before, I think it, people would want to go to cash because they, they use it as a timing mechanism. Like, I'm going to wait till things settle down and get better, and then I'm going to start buying stocks or other things again. But normally, that the if news is getting better, it's going to be priced in immediately. And that means that markets are probably doing better. And you're going to be behind the eight ball if you're trying to go back and forth. I liked the example that you used about changing lanes in traffic. It reminded me of that movie, um, Office Space, you know, where you're like the right lane's going fast. And he's like, oh, perfect. He changes lanes and it stopped. And then the left lane starts that he was in and starts going faster. And he's like, oh, I got to go back. And it stops. And I, I tried to explain that to investors that it works with asset classes too. You know, what worked really well last year, the lane that was going fast, by the time you get to it, it's probably too late. It's going to be stopped. So I, uh, I think that people do the same thing with money market funds. There's something to be said there that there's not a high correlation when you're driving between activity, changing lanes, and reducing your ETA. Is that a fair way to say yeah. it? I like how you said, too, that it is almost a frustrating conversation. And the reason I draw attention to that is because it's always the most difficult when the conclusion seems extremely logical to the investor, right? Like you laid it out. Hey, markets have been flat for two years. Now I'm being offered, again, we're just making up an interest rate, but let's say in the zip code of 5% on a money market account. Therefore, I look at that compared to where money market rates used to be and where the stock market has been. And then I make a decision on how I want to design my portfolio. Because that feels like sequential and logical, it can be very hard to draw somebody out of that lane. Um, And one of the things I opened up with was if you are dealing with a preschooler, you can make a pretty good trade. Uh, Most preschoolers will trade you $1 bill for three quarters, right? Yeah. Uh, They will say, I am giving up one paper thing and I'm getting three shiny metal things, right? So the quantity and the shine makes him think this is an attractive exchange. Three is better than one. A hundred percent. So 
that same broken logic we see happening with investors. And what I want to point out is a few things. Um, yes, interest rates are higher, but what else is higher? Inflation. So there's this correlation that exists that when inflation goes up, investors expect or demand higher interest rates. So one of the kind of funny things we put in the article was, um, what would you rather have, a 1% interest rate with zero inflation or a 20% interest rate with 20% inflation? Yeah, and one thing that we always like to look at is the, the real return, which is netting out, if you take out the inflation, what's left over. And so in that scenario, you'd rather have 0% inflation and a 1% return. Yeah, because you want your net outcome. Essentially, that interest rate, which creates investment income, will be used to buy goods and services. Your hope is that the investment income grows at a rate greater than the cost of your goods and services. So what we have to do is we have to go back to this kind of logic sequence that somebody's laid out and go step by step to break down where it's broken. Yeah, I like what you said in the article too. Um, the most common question I ask when this comes up is what's the purpose of the money? What is it for? And uh, I think the buying power is a good example because if it's something that they plan on using this year, then yeah, you're right. You should keep it in a money market or cash because you're going to be spending that money or using that buying power now. But if you're buying something in 10 years, like you just mentioned, if we think that cash is going to give you less buying power in 10 years, then it should be invested appropriately. And you're kind of zooming in on really the, the fracture, the broken part in people's logic. And that is, you first have to ask this question, which you're asking, is this money for today or is this money for tomorrow? Not the real tomorrow, but um, another way to say that, is this money going to be used in the next three years for a specific purchase? Uh, has it been earmarked for taxes? Um, do you have to have a certain amount of money to cover in case an emergency happens? That is one bucket of money. And it is very wise to go explore that bucket of money. And it, like we've written about before on Thoughts and Money, if that bucket of money is sitting at a bank institution earning no interest, yes, you can go find something that's more attractive and liquid um, in short-term treasuries or money market or something like that, and you can improve the rate of return on that money. The problem is you don't want to commingle these monies, right? There's the money that's set aside for an earmarked use or an emergency fund. Then there's a whole different bucket of money that's meant to compound and build wealth over time. You have to set a certain expected rate of return on that bucket of money, and that rate of return better be higher than the inflation rate. And that's what we were talking about in the article. You don't have to get down to the nitty-gritty exact numbers, but I'm going to tell you the net return of a money market account when you account for inflation is not much different than it was two years ago. Now, you might hit the pause button and say, wait, two years ago, money markets were paying 0%, and today, on average, they're paying 45 or 5%. Yeah, you're right. And two years ago, inflation was a lot different. So I'll say it again. When you net out inflation, you're really kind of in the same place. And that's why they belong in that first bucket when you're earmarking money. What do you tell people when um, they have like an unexpected financial windfall? So they get kind of a lump sum. And uh, they don't really have a need for that money in the near future, but they also don't know if it's going to be long-term retirement money. 
and they're kind of like stuck in limbo. Do, do you ever have that happen? Tell me a little bit more. Like, let's let's give a little bit more color to our hypothetical person. Yeah, so hypothetical person, uh, younger couple, and they're you know mid forties, still you know saving for retirement. Not retired though. Plenty of working years left, and they end up getting this lump sum. And you know, you, you end up saying, "Hey, you know, what what are your thoughts?" And they go, "Oh, you know, maybe we'll buy you know another property, but we have no idea if we're going to do that anytime soon." Okay. And they go, maybe pay down portion of our mortgage, but we're, we're not really convinced on that either. Um, or maybe just tuck this away and save it for long term. What should we do? And then I, I know that a lot of it goes into like the planning conversation to figure out the best maybe use of that money, whether it's paying down high interest debt or you know saving for kids' education, things like that, whatever their goals are. But I have had a few times where they're like, I don't think I need this money for anything anytime soon, but I'm not sure I might. And sometimes that, that puts an interesting predicament out there. Yeah, so I had a similar conversation yesterday. Uh, it was more defined a little bit, right? There was this lump sum of money called a half a million dollars. And the intent was there's a good chance that I'll probably use this to purchase another investment property. But I don't know the timing behind that. So my answer to that person was let's put it in the first bucket, right? Earmarked for use, emergency, short term. But let's try to maximize the so in finance, we have to be careful, right? We'll give a disclaimer. In finance, this is an extremely appropriate description that we call uh, the short-term treasuries the risk-free rate, right? That's just what it's called. So we would look to that person and say, hey, let's use these type of instruments to get a, a defined rate of return with a high level of liquidity, access to the money, and a low expectation of volatility. A lot of finance words. I'm really sorry. The shorter answer to what I'm telling you is I would leave it in that bucket until somebody has more clarity. What I would not allow somebody, weird saying allow somebody, but what I would highly encourage is that if you don't know today, totally okay. We can hit the pause button, but you need to meditate on it. You need to think about it and you need to make a decision because you can't let one, two, three, four years go down the road and still put your arms up like, hey, I'm not sure. Because the longer you let that undecision compound, the longer it's going to have a negative impact on you. Yeah, and I've had the opposite happen too, where someone says, no, this money's long-term, don't plan to touch it for years. And, uh, and we kind of build an allocation uh, using stocks and other investments. And then 12 months in, they go, actually, I'm going to need half of it for this. And, and I, I kind of sit there scratching my head, like, I thought this was long-term. And like, oh, yeah, yeah, something came up. And so there is a little bit of an art to the science where you need to kind of know who, who you're talking to and are they a spender or is something shiny going to come along and are they going to take your advice at the time? So, Yeah, I think there's something to be said too is that the counter argument was I don't know how I'm going to feel or what I'm going to want in the future. That's totally fair. What we're saying here is that you don't want – we'll use me as an example, right? I live in California They've allowed us as Californians, because of the weather, to defer our tax payments. So when October rolls around, I'm going to have a sizable tax payment, right? It's an accrual of a few tax payments that they've allowed us to delay. It would be silly if I was putting that money in investments that were going up and down and had some illiquidity to them. That is not prudent, right? I thought you were going to use it for sports gambling. Uh, good just, idea. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> like, wait, I don't do that. Um, so that would be a bad idea. But let's say somebody decides down the road that they want to do a real estate investment and sell some of their stocks. 
I don't have a problem with that. It's still in that that risk bucket. They just have to know the timing could be unideal, right? Because we know that the stock market is volatile. We know that something that's worth a dollar can quickly be worth 70 cents for resale, right? That's just how the stock market works. But it's still within the realm of that bucket. Now, I haven't come across a lot of people that have had surprise expenses that are larger than their emergency fund. Like, let's say somebody spends 20 grand a month. And let's say that you've advised them that they should have four months of expenses in an emergency fund. So that's 80000 It's not often that you get an, a surprise $80,000 bill. Now, what you're talking about is if some people that are spenders, right, they might surprise themselves and say, like, I really want that car or that boat. Well, there's another conversation to be had there on this idea of investor maturity is the ability to kind of, like, delay pleasure a little bit and be a little bit more patient if your intent is to grow wealth. Yeah, this was uh, like an investment opportunity. And that's why it created like the urgency. And I thought he was taking advantage of good pricing. And it's kind of interesting. And I was thinking about this as they were just talking. Normally, and you tell me if I'm wrong, but I almost think that if you were looking for an investment property or a business or something like that, and prices became attractive, and you were looking to sell stocks in your portfolio, that probably means that if the real estate market prices became attractive, that probably means that like bad things happen, right? Like uh, maybe unemployment's higher, uh, and uh, or we're in a recession or something like that, and the market's softening. Probably means your stocks are trading at a lower price as well. So something to keep in mind. Now you could probably make the argument that if you're getting a big enough discount on the property, that might be worth more because your return on cash is better, but... Yeah, a little bit of a rabbit trail, but there are going to be times where there's isolated parts of the market that get punched in the face a little bit more, right? Like maybe commercial mortgages um, have suffered that tail um, a couple times over the last few years. So you can be opportunistic there. I mean, I, I do think about the fact that when we place clients in something like private equity, and if the investment is in a capital call structure, we are typically placing the money that's waiting to be called in risk assets, right? Because all it's going to be is an allocation change, right? We might be selling publicly traded stocks to fulfill a capital call for private equity. Mm -hmm. The reason I describe it that way, and again, I'm going to lose a lot of our listeners. So you can email if you have questions on this. But if if you committed a million dollars to a private equity investment, and they said, Sean, we're going to call that money over the next three years, and you leave that money completely in cash, then your returns are not going to be as attractive as you might expect because you're going to have that drag of the cash return as you're waiting for them to call capital. So if you didn't understand that, I'm okay with it. All I'm saying is that there is a strategic or tactical way on how to build something. But what Sean and I are really highlighting is that you need to be very good at bifurcating the difference between this money is meant to grow long-term wealth and this money is for emergencies or upcoming expenses. The problem we're highlighting today is that people are enamored with those risk-free assets, short-term treasuries, money market, that they are then taking their long-term wealth building money and they're placing it in those assets and they're being fooled. Uh, and that's what we want to highlight, that the logic is a little bit broken there. Yeah, if I was to sum it up, I I would say 
that money market funds may not continue to pay 5% in the long term. So if we looked at 10-year period, let's say the uh, average effective rate is closer to 3%. Well, if we think that the uh, expected total return for other investments in your portfolio could average 7%, you're pretty much earmarking that money to have half the buying power in the future. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. I remember early on in my career, there was a, a client that I was serving, and they'd recently gone through a divorce. And the advisor that was serving both the husband and soon-to-be ex-wife, right, because of the divorce, uh, was giving advice to the wife. And this was like, this gentleman was good friends with the husband. So there, to me, there's a conflict of interest there, right? So the advice that he gave was, take all of this money that you're getting in the the splitting of assets and place it in this 30-year corporate bond that is paying 8%. And uh, the advice was taken. And I was trying to explain as I was picking up the pieces, hey, here's why I don't think that that is wise. She was, again, enamored with the 8%, which rightfully so. But then I was explaining, hey, there's one company here. And that company has to be around for 30 years in order for that to pay out. We know how businesses work. It's survival of the fittest. There's some concentrated risk there. The other part is that it's a fixed payment. Um, You could be spending those payments, but you should also look at, again, we're huge believers of dividend stocks, is what does a dividend stock portfolio paying 4% today growing income over 30 years look like, right? you'd be quite surprised that there's a huge difference between when you fix the income and you're investing in something that is growing income. And I highlighted the end of the article, and I don't know if I gave a good analogy, but is that people never look at opportunity cost. No, they they look at, well, we also, we do two things. I mentioned this before. We think that things are going to stay this way forever, which they aren't. And we also almost have like short-term memory loss. Like we don't remember what it was like two years ago when interest rates were zero. And I think the pendulum could swing back really fast. Yeah, so we don't remember what happened two days ago. We only remember <laughs> what happened yesterday, right? So that's, that's one problem. Uh, we make false comparisons. So in the article, I drew attention to say like, have you ever watched somebody purchase fruit? Right? Yeah. And I, I find myself doing it too. Like, not that I know what's a good watermelon or not, but like I'm you picking it up. Now. <laughs> I'm knocking on it. I'm looking at the coloring. And uh, ultimately, if you're a spectator and you're watching a shopper do that, they will narrow down to like two watermelons, right? And they're looking at them, holding them, and they're, they're using like color and knock. And they have to have a comparable to make a decision. The problem is sometimes when we're comparing just an absolute rate of interest rates today versus interest rate interest rates yesterday, and we're not factoring in inflation, it's like, well, it's actually a silly comparison. David will sometimes say it's like comparing apples and carburetors, right? Um, Just to even emphasize, it's not even apples and oranges. They're they're, they're that much different. But where I was going is uh, towards the end of the article, I made this analogy. Like we talked about the the lane changing, um, and this was just the idea that People think that activity and making these changes are getting them somewhere faster, but it rarely ever happens that way. Funny side note, uh, when you're talking about the grocery store, I remember once I, I was getting bell peppers or something. I was just following the list, and I grabbed these two, and I go, oh, these look fine. And this, <laughs> this lady next to me is like, no, those are bad. Take these two. 
And I remember I was so surprised because they looked oh they all looked the same. And when I went home, Sarah said, "These are the best bell peppers you've ever picked." And I was I remember laughing because I'm like, "Thank you, lady at the store." <laughs> I'm gonna have to tell another funny story just because you Let's said it. So I have a good friend that uh, her and her husband are amazing. Like they're mentors. They're they have more wisdom than anybody I know. They're they're awesome. And at some point in her life, she was reading about nutrition and, and just wanting to make sure like eating healthy and the impact that foods have on you. And there was this book she had at her house and she was like, this book is like so incredible. The author is a doctor, all these things. And I was like looking at it. I, oh, I go to the back of the book and I'm reading like the back flap. And I was like, oh, like here's his background. And like, these are the impacts of eating these fruits and vegetables. And then the, the author's like, yeah, like I hold the vegetables to my ear and they like speak to me. And I was like, you realize this guy thinks that vegetables speak to him. I don't think I can believe anything else here if his belief system is that uh, he can communicate with veggie tales. Anyway, huge distraction. But the the place that I was forgetting that I wrote about where I wanted to go to kind of wrap us up here is my wife and I have a, a funny little fight we often get in when we go on road trips because uh, I'm driving and she is handling the GPS. And I don't know if you're familiar with this, but my GPS always says like, hey, do you want to save five minutes? Take this route instead. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So it's like this live update. And it made me think like when I was younger, I used MapQuest, right? I printed out MapQuest and um, I just took whatever directions they gave me or, um, you know, before that it was Thomas Guide. But now it's not only GPS, but it's giving you lifetime updates because of traffic and, and all those things. So it doesn't matter if it saves me 32 seconds. I'm like, Nicole, click that button. I want the, <laughs> I want the faster route. But the thing I thought about is that when you actually get to your destination, your GPS doesn't then tell you, hey, you got here in six hours, but if you would have taken this route, you would have got here in five and a half hours. It only tells you on a look forward basis where it would guide you, it doesn't look backwards at opportunity cost. Does that make sense what I mean by that? Totally makes sense. Yeah, and investors are the exact same way. Like investors that were, again, we use the same word, enamored with uh, money market accounts, right? And they were halfway through the year and they had received half of their interest payments and they compared that to where they should have been invested with that money that was long-term wealth accumulation, there's a huge opportunity cost they've already experienced even just in the first six months this year. They only do it when it's in their favor. Like if markets are throwing up, then they're like, oh, so smart. Good thing I'm in this money market fund. No, 100%. They do it, one, when it's in their favor, which when we say they, we, we do mean, too. We mean us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a better way. I, uh, I, I gave the sermon this weekend on uh, at church and some person gave me feedback and he said, when you're giving advice or correction from the pulpit, he's always say us, not you. And I was like, oh, that's a good word because like, um, we, we, all, we all deal with it. So this is, a, this is definitely a, an us thing. But we have a tendency to look back and remember when we made that one good golf shot, right? Like when we dodged a bullet. Um, we also have a tendency to, to even beat ourselves up a little bit. Like, oh, like, uh, you know, I thought about buying that company and now that company went through the roof. I, I wish I would have bought that stock. But rarely do we slow down and say, hey, when I made this decision to get out of the market, uh, how did that impact me? Like, what did I lose in real opportunity cost? Uh, so that's that's one huge part. The other part is if you've exited part of your wealth accumulation bucket to sit on the sidelines, that reentry point is extremely hard because the way markets work 
is that they have peaks and troughs. And we would describe the peaks as like this swing in sentiment, right? Where euphoria or rational exuberance goes through the roof and things, prices get high. Um, and then the opposite swing when fear takes over and everybody thinks the world's going to end and prices get cheap. The problem is investors that have sat on the sideline, they don't usually enter at the bottom because of fear. They enter because of a different fear, a fear of missing out. It's when markets peak, they feel like they've missed out and then they're on tilt again and then they go back into markets. Then they get blindsided and then they just get so frustrated and upset and say things like markets are rigged. Yeah, I've had this conversation so many times where they go, I'm going to wait till the dust settles or wait till things get better. And I'm thinking, I'm like, no, you want to wait till there's chaos. And it's the worst possible time, in your opinion. That's when you should redeploy cash. But the, the real answer is you, you really have to be right twice. You have to go to cash at the right time. And you have to reenter at the right time. And being right once is really hard in the market. So I, uh, I'm, I'm kind of a big believer not to try that. Yeah, and the great thing is we're throwing ourselves into the category. You're not good at market timing, Sean Latimer. I, Trevor Cummings, am not good at market timing. Therefore, we've set a foundational belief that it's probably something that you want to stay away from. Uh, Other things that we're not good at, Sean and I are not good at juggling chainsaws. Um, We are not good at flying planes. Um, So we stay away from these things because they can be hazardous. Uh, and that's why we're giving that advice to you as well. Do you ever see those uh, like articles where it's like 50% of people think they could land a commercial plane in an emergency if they had to or something like that with like no training? I remember reading that. I was like, I could probably do it. <laughs> or the what's the other one? Like 80% of people think that they're better than the average driver. Oh, yeah, yeah, like yeah. That. So, yeah, our mind can lead us in, in odd ways. But uh, we appreciate you joining us. We'll ask, as always, that you rate the podcast five stars or preferred. You can leave comments there on the podcast. Um, some of these conversations, some of these articles might spark questions. We get a lot of great emails. We love talking to our listeners and readers. You can email us at tom, T-O-M, at thebonsongroup.com. You can address that to Trevor or Sean. Happy to answer your questions and would love to have a dialogue with you. So with that said, we will be back next week with more of our Thoughts Thoughts on money. Money. Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice.
This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.